Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Today we're going to discuss an event that brings hope to everyone in the dark place and shines a light on the suicide epidemic in our nation, which unfortunately has significantly impacted the military veteran community. We'll talk about what the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is doing through a walk called Out of the Darkness, and we'll get to meet a veteran that really is going to help open up this conversation, why it's important, and some of the hope that we can find in the end. We'll talk to Joan Pauling, an Air Force veteran. Joan lives and works in Fort Meade, Maryland, is a veteran of the U.S. Air Force and began her service at just 17 years old. Now she supports the government as a civilian doing system engineering work at Fort Meade. Joan got involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention after hearing an advertisement for the 2018 overnight walk in D.C. And she felt drawn to participate, joined Team Ruck Up, and has been raising funds ever since. So with that, let's say hi to Joan Pauling, proud U.S. Air Force veteran, working at one of the coolest bases in the world. How are you, Joan? I'm great. How are you? Really good. I say that because of my envy for all things Fort Meade. It is such a neat base. They do so many incredible things there. We all know it as, you know, the home of NSA and all these things that we do there that help support freedom, you know, both here on earth and up in the air and space. It's, it's just really cool. So Joan, let's start with you, your Air Force veteran background. Um, tell me a little bit more about kind of how you got on that path. Well, I joined the Air Force, um, like I said, at 17 and ended up in a computer field. So doing that, I learned Unix, um, command line, you know, normal first time in the military type thing. They're like, here, read this, learn it. (laughs) So I did. I got really interested in it and started doing Unix, which is a command line uh, OS. And I've been doing it ever since. So I got out in the military, was a contractor for a while for DOD, and now I'm a DOD civilian doing the exact same thing I've been doing since I was 17. And I'm super glad you have all that experience because the stakes are high and the things Fort Meade deals with, the things that are, you know, part of our intelligence community, part of our air superiority. It seems interesting to me because it was late 90s, right? Yes, sir. And late 90s when I was in, in the Navy, we didn't know of the technology as such a critical part. I mean, I remember when they were first bringing the internet onto the ship. I remember AOL chat rooms. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, all that old school internet stuff. Did you know then, or are you surprised now the Air Force's, I guess, interest in creating MOSs specifically for 
computer coding because you, you remember back in the day when the Air Force, the coolest dude you met was like a plane captain and he had like gold <laughs> wings or something. Yet behind the scenes, they were changing the dynamic of what an Air Force recruit was. And it really, they were looking at computer coders. They were looking at mm-hmm. things like that. And talk to me about the life cycle there and the change that you've seen. Yeah. So when I came in, um, I came in as a 3C, which was the only real computer MOS. We don't call them MOS, but that's, that was the only one. And what they've done and since then is they've separated into all the different fields within computers. And I think it's awesome because for when I came in, everybody was lumped together and there's so many different technologies and so many people have specialties in certain things. It's so much better the way they've done it now and the way it's grown that now, you know, you have hackers, you have people who do like I do with system engineering, you have network engineers. So it, it helps the Air Force because now you have people who are specialized in a certain technology, but it also helps the people for when they get out the military and they're looking for civilian work because they have such a specialty in the technology. So I really think it's awesome how we've grown. Yeah, that's amazing. Cause again, I still, you know, I still trip on the fact that like I thought all the cool people in Air Force were pilots or that the dudes that worked on the planes and here the whole time, like you're saying, since late nineties, they've been building serious experts in tradecraft, coding. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. It wasn't all just <laughs> Google and Silicon Valley, right? Definitely not. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, man. Air Force. All right. Uh, you worked as a DOD contractor from what it sounds like had a really good transition. Is it still true? You think for a majority of the Air Force that that computer coding experience or that technical experience translates very well? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I tell people all the time who are coming in the military, all of my younger family, if you can get into any of the computer fields, jump into it because if you ever decide to get out or when you retire, you can jump right into the civilian life a lot easier. As we're getting ready to now discuss, you know, the great work that the Foundation for Suicide Prevention does, uh, it, it talk to me about, did you experience any of that firsthand or did you know people that were struggling? I absolutely know people that were struggling. Um, I, I have to, I do have PTSD. So I, I struggle as well. Um, I have in the past, even with my good transition and, you know, everything seeming to go well. I absolutely have struggled and I have friends who have struggled. Let's talk a little bit about how you got involved with the out of the darkness overnight walk. So, yes, I um the first time I ever heard anything about the overnight walk, it was a radio advertisement. Late night, I heard this advertisement about this suicide prevention walk and it. For whatever reason, in that time, it really touched me uh, and I wanted to help. So I joined the walk. I registered. And I went to my boss at the time and asked if he would match money because that's one of the fundraising techniques they they tell you to do. See if, you know, companies will match the money you give. And I found out that he already participated in the walk um, and already gave a great amount of money. And he hooked me up with a veterans team. He knew I was a vet um, called RuckUp. So I have been walking with Team RuckUp now every year since 2018. Did they ever help you get through a difficult time? And maybe you can speak a little bit more about how AFSP you know, has helped your healing journey. Yes. RuckUp is just a community and they're, they do a lot of work with vets. They do therapy work. Um, they help with mental health, but they help with everything vet related. They're just a great group. They're really out of New Hampshire, um, but we're all over now. And at this point, you know, they, we have members all over the country who walk with us every year. So just being a part of that community, it, it reminds you of when you have the, the military community, right? You know, when people get out the military, a lot of times that's the one thing they, they say they miss is that camaraderie you have. Well, Team Ruckup lets me have that again. So um, a great example for me, just in 2021, I had a kidney transplant. It was, it was a little rough time for me. I went from being extremely healthy. Actually, 2019, I did my walk, my 18 miles, and I, I felt great. And then a year later, I had stage three kidney disease and was ended up on dialysis. Um, so everything happened so quick and it was a really rough time. Team Ruckup started sending me stuff. They started checking on me, you know, just making sure I was OK the whole way. And having that and having my back was just a really great experience. Yeah, you wrote about it on your fundraising page, and I was surprised to see that it said, you know, this is my first walk post-operation. Um mm-hmm. You really varied the lead there. I had no idea it was a full-on kidney transplant. 
God love you, Joan. That is awesome. He really does. <laughs> That's amazing that is, feeling. That is awesome. So Team Ruckup then, you say that they were, you know, really helpful through the journey. That's more than just a group that walks one time a year for this oh, yes. particular walk. What kind of things do they do year round? Ruckup has therapy sessions. Um, they have veteran outpost reach to make sure vets are okay. They just keep track of all of us and make sure everybody's doing well. Um, and they have a very close connection with AFSP and have, uh, we raise at least 50,000 a year, um, every year in the East Coast walk. And some of our um, members also walk the West Coast. So they usually do two walks a year, one East Coast, one West Coast. Some of our members do both. Um, but we, at a minimum, try to raise 50000 for AFSP a year. That's great. And when you say walk, so like they'll have hikes throughout the year, like all through the summertime, like all through the no, fall? No, it's, it's all overnight. They have a very close relationship with AFSP. Um, so we can do, the, besides the big walks, this walk like we're doing now, we have community walks as well. And uh, Ruckup tries to help organize some of those. Um, so those happen throughout the year. Is it vets that get together? Do they spend the night? Do they camp? Do they have barbecues? Is it like a tailgate type thing? Like what's a what's a team Ruckup get together look like? For the walks, we all walk together. Um, we all look out for each other. We all wear the same bright green T-shirt so we know another team Ruckup person during the walk. And we fundraise together. That's a big part of it. So we all make sure that all of our teammates have enough money to walk every year. We, nobody is left behind. Let's talk about the walk. Okay. Out of the Darkness Overnight Walks, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention holds uh, a big one in Washington, D.C. One Night, One Goal, Stop Suicide. Uh, this, year, this year takes place on June 3rd. And um, tell me about the walk. Tell me about maybe like the first time you signed up, you said, okay, they're mm-hmm. going to walk in DC. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What was the experience like? The experience is healing. Um, and I, and I didn't really expect that. I felt um, I was at a good place in my life when I did the first walk and I didn't realize how much I still needed to heal until I did the walk. It is a great place for people to just come together and have a, a common goal. We have survivors, we have people who are family members of survivors and, and, and dealing with it. And just to have everybody in one place and to know everyone has the same goal and there's other people who've been through what you've been through, it's just amazing. It's just such an amazing feeling. It truly is coming out of the dark into the light. That's beautiful. And I would imagine, right, you get to meet people, you get to hear their stories. Is it just, what's that like when you get down, it's down in the mall, right? So you're surrounded by beautiful Washington, D.C. and the monuments and the grassy area. Is it a course they walk through or around the National Mall? Yeah, basically like a designated walk through. You're in the streets of D.C. Um, It's all night. It starts when the sun goes down and you finish around the time the sun comes up. It's between 16 to 18 miles. And it's different cities. It rotates. So it's back in D.C. this year. Um, next year, it'll be in a different city on the East Coast. But you get to see I got to see parts of D.C. I've never seen. And I've been here for years. Um, you just walk through the night. And like I said, there's people everywhere. You share stories. You you encourage each other. It, it's just a beautiful experience to be with people who are all are opening their hearts and doing this walk to help other people. It's midnight, one in the morning, y'all trying mm-hmm. to, you know, keep motivated, talking to mm-hmm. each other helps. Is it just very common to like walk up next to somebody and be like, hey, what's your story? Absolutely. Um, every year I've met somebody new that I have become friends with that I keep in touch with over the years. It usually happens just like that. If I see somebody, I personally and most of our group, most of the ruckus, we see people walking by themselves, we'll ask. Um, we don't force it. You know, that's another thing. It is really, truly just a complete open-minded, no judgment zone. So if someone wants to walk alone, we leave them alone and let them walk alone. But I check, you know, I usually ask like, hey, you know, I'm Joan, you know, you want to walk with us? And we just walk. Sometimes we talk, sometimes we don't. It's just good to know that you have somebody there, you know, who who wants to help. And that's the reason why if I see somebody walking alone, I usually at least ask like, hey, you want to join our group? You want to walk with us? Or, you know, you want to walk a couple of miles? And we, one year we, we met a lady, a, um, a elderly lady who was walking. Um, it was amazing. She had to be 70. 
I walked with her about three miles and she said, honey, I don't know if I can make it anymore. I said, you made it a lot longer than a lot of people younger than you. So <laughs> don't don't take that as a, a slight that you can't make it any further. You know, rest a little bit. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. And, and that's basically how the walk is in general. You do what you want to do, um, what you need for yourself, and no one judges you. Oh, that's great. But you grind all night to the finish line then, right? You literally every time. Like, yeah. Every night, every time. I haven't missed it yet. That's got to be like 12 hours. 12 hours of just nonstop walking, right? Um, it's not quite 12. I usually get done a little little quicker than that, but it's nonstop walking. But you, you forget. Like, you don't feel the, the quote-unquote pain from the walk. You don't feel the pain from your life sometimes you just it's just such a freeing experience to be out there and do something good and of course raising money for a great cause too share with me an experience or a friend that you've met over this and kind of do you got any cool stories from the road so there there's like there's a guy uh saw our group like i said ruck up we we advertise it any vet any family of vets can walk with us so he saw our group last minute. I think he said it was like maybe two weeks before before the walk. And um, so when he when he came to sign in, you know, I noticed I'd never seen him before. So I, I went and introduced myself. I'm a co-captain. So I really try to make sure everyone knows who I am. And he had on worker boots. And I was like, You're, are you going to walk in those? And he's like, this is how I'm comfortable. Uh, are you sure? I was like, I'll, I'll go buy you some tennis shoes right now because I just can't imagine. But um, he ended up walking the whole night with us. He made it all the way until we could see the finish line. But his hotel was right there. And he's like, I just can't do it anymore. So he ended up just going ahead. But he he walked the entire night in worker boots. And I had, to this day, I have no idea how he did 17 miles in steel toe worker boots. <laughs> but he did it. And I still keep in contact with him. I'm hoping he comes out and walks with us this year. No doubt. And hoping that as he gets older each year, we find him some comfortable shoes. Cause oh, we got age... a couple shoes the next time. We made sure he didn't do that ever again. <laughs> I mean, I cut the grass in my work boots and my feet are like, oh, I got to get these boots off. <laughs> That's awesome. Did the walk help you realize that you needed some work on yourself related to the PTSD? Was. Um, it was very cathartic. That first year helped me drastically. Um, I got I had quit therapy. I thought I was I thought I was great. I, mean, I didn't need it anymore and I was moving on. And I wasn't. <laughs> and that first year really did help. Um, like I said, I've been in a pretty good place, but even with that, just knowing that your your mental health is a constant thing you need to take care of, just like your physical health. But I continue to walk because one, I want everyone to know that you're not alone. I, I completely understand what you feel. Um, even though now I, I feel great, I, I've been places where I don't and I know what that feels like. And I don't want anyone else to feel that way. And with, with veterans, especially we, we've been drilled in our head, you know, we, we don't want to look weak and we have this fear of getting help and it's just so unnecessary. It's, it's fine. It is not weak to ask for help when you're mentally struggling. It is, it is a good thing. We all want the same thing. We want our brothers and sisters healthy and that's physically and mentally. I absolutely love that. And I can only imagine like a friendship you strike up on a walk like this can lead to a phone call two weeks later or an email or, Hey, you know, and then all of a sudden a new conversation starts and maybe even it leads to like a lunch sometime or a, you know, a dinner get together. And the next thing you know, you're forging a friendship with somebody that you know, you can tell anything to. And the other thing I like about what you said is that here you were on paper, you're a computer tech wizard. So you have coveted jobs. You get to, you know, work on a very highly classified base, working with important things on paper. You know, it's all going right. But right there, you'd said that like you'd still had things in your mental health unaddressed, even though professionally it's going well. Just expand a little bit on that, how there's more than meets the eye. It's not just about having a good job when you get out. It's not just about having a good marriage. Like everything can look smooth on paper and still be bumpy inside. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that's that's the issue in society in general. Too many people say, oh, that person's doing amazing. That person's great having no idea what's going on behind behind closed doors and in their in their head. And 
it's, it's a misconception that I, I think AFSP helps clear up as well, that just because you have the happy-go-lucky friend who has everything going for them does not mean that they're not fighting with some kind of mental health or some kind of depression. And they need to be checked on, too. They need love just as much as the person that you know is struggling. You, you need to just check on those people and make sure they're okay, too. And it's unfortunate that our barometer of are you okay in life is like, well, look at him. He got a new house. He got a great job. He got exactly. a nice car. I mean, like, no, that, how is he really doing? How are they really doing? Can you talk to me a little bit about the resources that AFSP has for military families and vets? Sure. Um, so AFSP works closely with vets and works closely with the VA, which as we all know, the VA can always use help. So I, um, I I was really happy to understand that they do work with the VA. Um, they have partnerships to educate communities about the risk as well as asking, they're asking, what can we do to help with the, the veteran suicide crisis aside from, you know, just the regular epidemic in this country that we all know we're, we're facing? Veterans are a whole separate community that sometimes, you know, society likes to forget about. So I, I love the fact that AFSP is doing a focus on them and working with the VA, working with veterans just to say, hey, how can we help? They fight for legislation to help with mental health. That's a big piece of the fundraising that happens. They they research to try to figure out what is causing these crises to begin with. So AFSP is doing everything they can in the background, you know, to make sure that we're, we're getting the problem at the beginning, which is really a mental health crisis, more so than just a suicide crisis. And you said it all there, getting it at the beginning, you know, your mental slide, if you will, deep into the dark place, you won't be able to get somebody early before it turns to the actual crisis moment. So uh, exactly. that's great to hear. They have all those connections, not only with the VA, but that they you know organize these walks to get together and then create their own little satellite constellation community of people doing good things to help veterans thrive. Um, how can people get involved with AFSP and how can they register for overnight walks like Out of the Darkness in Washington, D.C. on June 3rd? So the overnight.org, that is the website. And from there, you can donate, you can get involved, you can um, volunteer. There is a minimum fundraising, so we're, we're coming a little close for the D.C. walk, but there's always other ways to help, and you can always donate to help. Um, everybody on the site who's already registered has a minimum they need to walk, so even donating to people will help other people be able to walk. Yeah, and if somebody's already vested in walking, making mm -hmm. a donation to help assist them, yeah, it just helps fuel the fire and make this thing bigger and better each and every year. This question could have gone first. I saved it for last, but you know, I know you with your personal experience, not only with these overnight walks, but with your personal mental health journey, you probably have some great advice here. So what advice for veterans who may be listening and struggling with their own mental health or thoughts of suicide do you have? You are not alone. You are not weak. And there are plenty of people who would love to help you. We want to see you succeed. Uh, if you're a veteran, you already know how our community is. You know how we are. We all are brothers and sisters. We're all a family. And please just reach out to anyone who can help. AFSP is a great organization. The walk is amazing. I am personally as co-captain right now telling you, if you want to walk with Ruck Up, even now in the short notice, you absolutely can walk with us and we will make sure you have your fundraised uh, money the day of the walk. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Amen. And as you'd mentioned at the top, you'll get to see parts of DC this year that you're not normally used to seeing. It's not just all monuments and government buildings. You're going to get into some of the background neighborhoods, probably see some beautiful homes. Yes. Uh, DC can be gorgeous in the summer. And I know you guys are doing a great thing with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention Out of the Darkness Overnight Walk. One night, one goal, stop suicide. This year it's in Washington, D.C. on June 3rd, 2023. And you can get more information at theovernight.org. U.S. Air Force veteran Joan Pauling, just to one heck of a career and one heck of a cause. Joan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you.
right, welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans, reporting for ConnectingVets.com, the military veteran website for all. I am Navy vet Phil Briggs, and uh, today we're going to jump back into another segment about some mental health, and uh, it's something we really can't talk about enough. Now, every day, America's first responders and vets face physical and emotional and mental stress that most of us just couldn't imagine. And with the stressful demands from the front lines and for many memories of war, some heroes experience some of the country's highest rates of substance abuse, depression, and suicide. So luckily today, we'll hear about a program that's making big strides in treating all of that. It's from UpHealth's Transformation Treatment Center in Delray Beach, Florida. And they have a new program, which is called Help for Our Heroes. And it was designed to help vets and cops, firefighters and EMTs overcome their underlying issues that lead them to the addictions and teach them the coping skills that they need that are specific to their profession and, sadly, chemical dependency. So, helping our heroes graduate to a healthy, sober life is Tamara Evans, primary therapist at UpHealth's Transformational Treatment Center down there in Florida. And, uh, of course, she's got the background in clinical mental health counseling She's an army veteran. We also share together uh, the sounds of a slight head cold that we're both getting over, uh, which has affected the entire world. Joining me on Zoom here is Tamara Evans, army vet. How are you, Tamara? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling okay. I was about to say good. And I was like, that's not entirely true, but I'm here and I'm happy to be with you. Indeed. And I thank you for your time. Full disclosure, any sneezes or anything you hear on this program are not <laughs> contagious. Uh, we are. We are safely separated and you are only hearing us through your ears. Um, <laughs> now, before we jump into how we're helping heroes and how we're helping veterans with, uh, you know, the mental health counseling and this program that you guys have, share with me a little bit about your army background, because it's interesting that you've got all this clinical training now, but, but, but you understand the veteran at our core because you are one, what fun places and things did you get to do with the U S army? <laughs> oh man, it's. <laughs> I've never been asked that question personally before. And it's weird because I, I went to a military college. I went to Norwich university and um, I was supposed to commission into the air force and I ended up blowing out my knee playing rugby. So I didn't commission. And instead I ended up enlisting in the army. I like went home, had my degree and I was like, I can't not be in uniform. So I then enlisted as a diesel mechanic and I had a biology degree under my belt at the time. I just wanted to be in uniform, man. I was like, I just can't be a civilian. Like this isn't for me. Um, I was stationed at Fort Carson in Colorado with the 43rd Sustainment Brigade. I was a wheel vehicle mechanic. I worked in operations for a while also. And um, I got med boarded out because again, my knees, I'd blown them both out at that point. Um, and it was really sad for me. I wanted to stay in, you know, I had my identity wrapped up in that very heavily. And that was what ended up bringing me to the place I'm at now, not just with my own uh, experiences with mental health, but also getting into the field because getting out was in and of itself horribly traumatic. I didn't know who I was. It was an awful experience. Transitioning was awful. I don't know how it was for you, but for me, it was not great. Mm. I'm so glad I asked because I think that sort of sets the stage exactly to where we need to start to understand mm. why this program works and kind of how you're inspired to do the work. Uh, I think it's interesting you come from like a team background because if it's one thing I've noticed we share in common, uh, veterans, first responders, of course, the firefighters, the cops, the mm -hmm. EMTs, but sports people too. We identify ourselves as this, uh, I'm an athlete of this kind. I mean, you see it all through even like little kids in high school. I'm a baseball player in eighth grade. I'm a lacrosse player in ninth grade. I'm a, you know, whatever sport you really sink your teeth into, you can ride that out your entire teen identity and even getting into college. If you play through, sounds like you were one hell of a rugby stud. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's who you think you are. And the military has this brilliant way of giving those without purpose purpose, but when it's gone, man, you miss it. And yeah. you ask anybody yeah. that's transferred from that into a paramilitary unit, like the police force or firefighting. And that's the thing that keeps them going. But boy, you take that construct away from any human that really has relied on that. And the next thing you know, yeah, you are sort of like lost, what? sad, yeah. Some people are pissed off. Some people you're bummed out. You don't know what you are. It can hit you in a ton of different ways, but you're spun up in the sauce in your own head 
And that's a dangerous place to be, which leads to a lot of things. So mm-hmm. let's maybe start there. Why do we need this program? What is it veterans and first responders and, and you know, the like out there are experiencing right now? Mm. I think of it as generally speaking, isolation connection, right? It's an isolation connection issue. And then it's a meaning purpose issue. Uh, as human beings, we need other people, but also like we need to feel like we're here for a reason. We're doing something meaningful. You know, there's, I'm making a difference of some sort, or I have people that love me and care about me and, and, and get me. We need to be, you know, we need someone to get us. And the reason help for our heroes is so near and dear to my heart is because it it's, a really common presentation that a person gets out, um, whether they've experienced uh, trauma in the military or before, but they get out and they don't—they don't know how to be a person. They don't know how to be a civilian. They don't know how to just go about um, their lives and like live a happy, healthy, fulfilling life. And that feeling of what do I do next? is one of the things that we address in the program. It's not just, Hey, you're going to come here. You're going to get therapy. We're going to talk about your problems. It's also a matter of like, how do we figure out, help you figure out what you want your life to look like? What's in the way of you having the life that you want for yourself? And what could that potentially look like? And those are questions people just don't get asked. And also what are kind of the dangers right now that we're finding in our communities? You know, what kind of stuff's going down in the lives of veterans and cops and firefighters right now? Sure. When you look at it from a diagnosis standpoint and you want to pull it out of the book, you're looking at depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, neurocognitive disorders related to traumatic brain injuries, right? And we can talk about the clinical aspects of those. But what it looks like on the ground is um, people are not talking to their families. They do not have friends. They do not feel connected to anybody. Um, They're acting out in self-harming ways, whether that's addiction, gambling, sex, spending, like things that give me this immediate dopamine rush that make me feel better in the moment because I feel so horribly, horribly awful all the time, either about myself or about the world. Another thing you encounter a lot is this feeling of numbness and just inertia of like, I was alive when I was in these, I got to do these things with these people in these places. And it was interesting and I was important and I wore my identity literally on my uniform. And now I'm like, I guess I'm going to watch Netflix today. You know, it's just feeling like the momentum has been sucked out of their lives. How do you work with a person who feels like, like the thing that gave them drive in their life has been removed from them, you know? So, so you're dealing with a lot of feelings of loneliness and, and numbness and isolation. And, you know, it, it manifests in a lot of different ways with a lot of different quote unquote disorders. Yeah. And we didn't even mention the big one, but sometimes when the ride just gets too intense, we've seen over the last 20 years, too many great people take the exit ramp. That's something that we need to stop. So anytime I can highlight a mental health program that seems to you know have traction and is doing great things, uh, that's why we're having this conversation mm-hmm. right here. So um, yeah, thank you for shining a light on some of the more detailed aspects of what it's like to live in this world. It's not just a bunch of bearded crybabies that miss their frat bros <laughs> that are drunk all day yes. because you know, they don't get to kill, kill bad guys anymore. It's right. deeper. It's way more nuanced and it's way more rooted. Let's jump into kind of what exactly is help for our heroes. So help for our heroes. You can get substance abuse treatment and mental health treatment, like all over the country, right? You can go to your local VA if you're eligible for those services. And um, you know, if you're feeling suicidal, uh, they'll treat you there. But Help for Our Heroes is a veteran and first responder specific program that is geared towards um, treating addiction and mental health issues. So you're going to show up and you're going to get an individualized treatment plan instead of just throwing like really common interventions at people like you and I kind of touched on CBT. That's great. But um from a more holistic point of view, we're, <laughs> I, I hate just, I had to lead with yoga, but I'm also a yoga instructor. We, we've got yoga, we've got neurotherapy, we've got EMDR, we've got ART. So we have these very targeted interventions that are evidence-based trauma-specific interventions to utilize to help a person start to recover and reconnect with themselves. That also means involving, you know, reconnecting with their families, finding a sense of community among the veteran community at our facility. So the idea is to try and help them get their lives back.
And is this curriculum then designed by veterans and first responders for first responders? Mm-hmm. So our, our program was actually started by a veteran, a Vietnam era veteran and first responder himself. Um, he's now retired, but he um, started the program and then uh, it just kind of grew from there because there was a need for this population. There was a need for um, specific treatment for this specific population who, you know, you mentioned death by suicide. Quite frankly, the rates are astounding. It is, it is astounding. Like if that's not an indication of a serious need for focus on this particular group of people, veterans and first responders, I don't know what is like, that's, that's the ultimate people are not Mm. wanting to be here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We got to do something about that. Share with me how this program differs from, you know, your thoughts on cognitive behavioral therapy. I've covered this for years and I've talked to a lot of people, especially every time I talk to a VA person and they're like, we have all these great therapy sessions and we can sit you on a couch and we get the box of Kleenex out and we do things and we have you relive your worst day. And then we talk about it. And I've known tons of warfighter brothers that that just doesn't work for them. They don't want to go talk to Dr. McGillicuddy one more time about one more day over there in the sandbox that they don't want to remember. How is it this program is taking a different tact at getting to the, veterans and helping Mm -hmm. them heal. So here's my thing with CBT. I I love CBT. CBT works when it works in the right situations, right? But cognitive behavioral therapy is based on basically an idea that somehow the thinking behind what you're feeling is flawed, that the thoughts are distorted in some way. And if those thoughts can be adjusted, that the feelings can be changed and that will then change the outcome of the behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. That is not always the case, When you're dealing with people who are deeply traumatized, who have a history of whether it be shock trauma from deployment or childhood trauma, which developmental trauma makes future traumatization so much more likely just on a, just on a literal biological level makes you more prone to trauma responses in the future. So you're coping with trying to navigate life through a trauma response. And then you're just being told like, Hey, let's look at that thought. Let's change that thought. Well, it's not that simple. So if you come at it from a multi-pronged approach, Um, the first thing I do is try and honor the person's survival mechanisms. Why have you felt the need to do these things and how have they helped you? And now like, let's explore maybe how they're not helping you. If you don't have buy-in from a person that they actually want to change behaviors, you're not getting anywhere. You can, you can sit with them, you can talk about things, but until an individual decides like, okay, I can see how, um, I don't need to, to, keep living in this survival space. So we have neurotherapy. Neurotherapy directly addresses some of the ways that your brain functions, the areas that are lit up too much because you're still in fight or flight all the time, the areas that aren't lit up enough because you're not, you don't have enough impulse control going on in the prefrontal cortex of your brain. So neurotherapy, a huge, huge fan of. Tack that on top of group therapy, um, veteran community events, and uh, trauma interventions like EMDR and ART, which target specific shock trauma memories in order to reprocess the images associated with them. Like, <laughs> I could keep going and going and going, but you put all of that together and you're honoring a veteran's or a first responder's experience while allowing them to have a different relationship to that experience. Huh. That's really cool. Go over just a little bit on that last bullet point you give me. The 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 AMREM. Oh yeah, sorry. I I'm an acronym. Right. Um so ART is accelerated resolution therapy and EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. I've heard um, about that one before. Yes, yeah. because EMDR was established in the 1980s by a woman named Robin Shapiro and it the the studies on it were done like the big studies on it were done by the VA on Vietnam era veterans and the treatment results that they found, right? Like the, the outcomes that they got basically were like, oh my God, we can use this intervention to actually target specific traumatic memories. You don't forget them. You don't forget the significance of them. You don't forget that they sucked. You just don't have the response to them that you used to. So you, so this flashback or this nightmare that's been haunting you forever, you target that with one of these interventions in conjunction with a supportive clinical environment, having clinical staff on call all the time, being around the correct people. 
And then next thing you know, like you can remember that that awful thing happened, but suddenly your body isn't lit up like you're reliving it every time you think about it. A buddy of mine told me that went through that therapy. He said that he kind of thought about some things that had happened to him. And they went from being like a visceral, like painful divorce Mm -hmm. with his current wife to being like a simple memory of like that time he broke up with his girlfriend at homecoming and they were 16 years old. Like it was, it suddenly lessened it. It's not that it didn't happen. It's not that the psychotherapist convinced them that that wasn't an important memory. He just was like, you know, that was my girlfriend when I was 16. I'm 50 years old now. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of a sweet memory. It's not as heartbreaking and gnawing as it was the day after homecoming, 16 years old. It's not still happening. And the brain hasn't caught up. Yes, it's over. So super cool, man. All right. Um, It's a complement of services, a whole different kinds of modalities all coming at you there. What kind of results are you seeing so far? Give me sort of just like like a, I don't know, a small case example or. Mm. Um, well, there's so many that come to mind, but I mean, when a person's going through treatment, you're not just, you're not just working with the human being in front of you. You're also working with the family system behind them. So the coolest thing is when I hear back from clients who have graduated the program and gone home, um, and I hear, you know, that they're reconnecting with their family or they, they feel like themselves again, or they picked up a hobby. Like they sound like they're living, but even cooler is like, if you hear from the wife or you hear from like, you know, the mom and they're like to hear, thank you for giving my loved one back is one of the coolest. Uh, it's, it's the reason that, that we do this work because human beings, right. Are, are coming to you for help. And it's not just that human being you're helping. It's the entire family system system surrounding that person, everyone who knows and loves them. I don't know. Sorry. I'm getting emotional. It's just really, no, no. I absolutely love the fact that you said you brought up wives and stuff, because I remember one of my favorite interviews was with a Marine Corps veteran of Fallujah. And he was just I forget what modality we were talking about. Maybe it was the, um, what's the injection? The, um, Oh, the, I know uh, what you're talking about. Ganglion block. Yes, yes, yes. The ganglion block. Yeah. It was like the neck injection into that cluster of nerves or whatever they are, kind of the back of your neck. Um, he was forever this like amped up Latino LA, like (laughs) hyper vigilant looking out the windows. He was like, I was always worried, man. I always wanted to be strapped. I was, Mm. I was just ready to on edge constantly. And one day, like after he got it, he was just sitting there smiling and his wife is like, you know, Hey, um, Arturo, everything cool. You're, you look great. You're, you're just smiling. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm not just smiling. I don't just sit around and smile. What are you talking about? I'm smiling. And it was like, he, it had just washed over him that all of a sudden he didn't need to be that way. He could just relax. And his, mm. his, 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 his resting face was a smile. And That's she crazy. was like, that was the you I knew before you were a Marine. You were this goofy, silly, slap happy guy. And now I just look at you after this, whatever, you know, after this treatment that, you know, was not just couch-based therapy. And she's like, there you are. I got you back. And when you hear that from a spouse, nothing says it's working more than when you see other family members going, yep, yeah, that's my dad. That's right. my uncle. Yep. That's my brother again. Um, good stuff. Let's talk about uh, who is eligible to sign up and uh, what they can expect during the program. Sure. So um, anyone who's a veteran or first responder, um, regardless of discharge status, is eligible um, to to participate in the program. So um, and and there's more information at like our website is helpforourheroes.com. It's all one word, helpforourheroes.com. So there's numbers and resources and information on the program there. But um, we've even, for instance, we had a nurse who worked on the COVID ward in the ER um, and we welcomed her into the program with group consensus, you know, for, because of what she had seen and gone through and, um, the way she had responded to that crisis. So veterans first responders, um, are eligible for the program. And what they can expect is from the time that they call admissions to the time, you know, if they need detox then they go to detox, if they don't, they can generally come directly into the program, but they, um, are going to be part of a group of individuals who have had similar experiences to them. Um, we have a veteran specific caseload, veteran and first responder specific caseload. So the people that they will be doing some of their therapeutic work with will be 
people with similar experiences. They will also interact with the civilian population because, you know, we have to. <laughs> That's part of being in the real world. We got to go there and interact with civilians. Um, but yeah. Those damn do. civilians. Oh my God. Right. And it's funny because then you have to remind people like you are one now and no one likes to hear that. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they do a group, uh, sorry, community activities. They spend time with another. They have barbecues. We have veteran speakers come and that's the extra stuff. But then other than that, they get the clinical programming. You know, they get an opportunity to address the things that are keeping them from living like the life that they want for themselves. Mm, So cool. And it's also cool. You bring them in from wherever they're at too. I hear so many programs that are like, well, if you're a veteran and you're having a bad day, you know, you can do this. That's a great for all the mental health kind of things out there, but you guys are also tacking this with, if you have an addiction issue, yeah, because that goes so hand in hand. Many of our addictions even begin while we are active duty. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly the GWAT generation knows this better than anybody else. You know, the constant issuance of the pain meds and the chronic pain from carrying the packs and the backs and the falling off things or things falling on you or, you know, wars, hell on knees and shoulders and backs. Yeah. Um, you're on painkillers. And guess what? One day, two turns into three, turns into four, turns into a little bit more. And now, you know, you're high. And you don't know how to come down because you, you have legitimate pain, but you've crossed the threshold from pain management to, you know, Motley Crue. Yeah. And add, add, (laughs) add, add pain to depression and isolation and all three will become worse very quickly. Yeah. You know, so, so treating it really from a holistic point of view and not stigmatizing it because look, we're not tougher than substance abuse issues. We're not tougher than mental health issues. That's part of being a human being. And when you've seen the and done the that most of us have, or a lot of us have, it's not easy to go back to just like a run of the mill life. Yeah. I say that all the time when I talk to my buddies that are um, direct action vets and you know, I, I hear about the stories and stuff and I'm like, I'm not sure that my thirties or forties would have ever felt sufficient. Had I been able to do that at 28 years old, right? You know, Australian rappel out of a, out of a helo and take out a compound and kick in a door yeah. and find a bad guy and save the girl and, right. and then come, come back out of an explosion in the background, walking back to the rendezvous and get back to the fob to open a can of beans with my buddies by a fire and talk about how cool that just was. Right. I mean, that's I don't I don't have to think about how I almost lost my life. I don't have to think about coming down from this this high of fight or flight adrenaline. Right? Yeah. You don't have to think about those things until you're back home and you got to go to Walmart and somebody's too close to you. <laughs> and then you hear people complaining about like I said soy non-fat skim latte with a Splenda. <laughs> I, I can't tell you. Oh man, how much that comes up that people struggle with experiencing the entitlement of like when they return home. Right. And there's right. just this, this very like American materialistic entitlement that they encounter. Um, and that it causes them to feel this resentment towards other human beings that again, prevent them from reaching out and getting connected because they just, they just learn like people just suck. Why would I want to be around people? They just kind of suck. So hopefully in our program, they kind of get to experience some people that don't suck and maybe change their view on that. <laughs> Experienced people that don't suck. I like that. Uh, la- last thing I want to notice is that they can expect also sunny skies. I couldn't help but notice just throughout the website as I'm looking at it that the Transformations Treatment Center is in Delray Beach, Florida. So yeah. that's got to be cool to like say, you know, what is it? Four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. Like, like you go down there and live on site. You are at Transformations mm-hmm. Treatment Center there at the beach. You get the sunny skies every day. You get the good Florida air. Yeah. Um, so look, one of the cool things about being in treatment is the only thing you have to worry about is you like, that's it. We will, we're taking you to the beach. We're taking you to clinical. We're taking you back to the property where you live. There's pool time. There's a gym. Like, no, you're not going to have your phone, but guess what? How about you stay off social media and focus on the fact that you're extremely depressed. <laughs> These are like, like get in touch with yourself for crying out loud. We go to the beach. Like I'm looking out my window right now. And the skies are extremely blue and extremely clear and it's beautiful outside. Like I coming to Florida for treatment is, is that's cool. That's a plus, but really getting to spend time with yourself and with people like you in an environment where you can address the stuff that's making you not be able to live. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt that it's 82 degrees outside. 
No, that's definitely a bonus. And I think about all of us, you know, we all crave throughout the year, our vacation place, whether it's by a lake or whether it's by a beach, this is clinical treatment, veteran to veteran, first responder to first responder groups. And it's being held at Delray Beach, Florida at Transformations Mm -hmm. Treatment Center, which has got to be a cool view. And I know every time I go to the beach, I come back feeling a little bit better. I can only imagine if I was surrounded by professionals and various treatment modalities that are having success. So um, <laughs> that'd be really cool. In fact, the way you just described it, I, I just want to come down for a couple of days. I mean, come on um, down, <laughs> but I guarantee you'll need the pool time because the work we do in therapy is not a walk in the park. Like you're not, <laughs> You are not going to always be having a good day. And that's one thing I always hope for our vets and our first responders when they're here is that they have a bad day when they're in treatment so that they know exactly what they're capable of coping with on the outside. Mm, wonderful. All right. Um, let's wrap real quick with just kind of, again, where do I find out more about yeah. UpHealth's Transformation Treatment Centers and this Help for Our Heroes program? So helpforourheroes.com is our website. Um, there's more information on there and uh, phone numbers you can reach out to, information on our staff, our facilities, all kinds of things. So uh, that would be a place to go, helpforourheroes.com. Very cool. Army veteran clinical mental health counselor, Tamara Evans, helpforourheroes.com. Sounds like a great place to start. And uh, you sound like a great person to talk to, man. I could see after this interview, (laughs) like just hanging out with somebody leading a session like you that gets it, that throws around a little salty language, knows the rugby team, isn't afraid to, you know, dish with the guys. Man, I this sounds cool school, man. So uh, Tamara, I really appreciate everything you're doing. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.